The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast, this time opening day edition. So glad you could join us. My name is Mike Rankin. I'll be your host, James Fox, alongside us, senior writer at Future Sox. James, we have Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill on the show today. I can't wait to talk to them. Two of the best in the business in the Locked On Sox Network. Also, of course, in 670 The Score here in Chicago. Plenty to tackle in front of opening day. Going to hit on a lot of topics, including Tony LaRusso. Dylan Cease, Carlos Rodon, what the hell is going on in left field as well as designated hitter, the catching situation. So I'm excited for the listener to get a chance to take all that in. But first, let's let's spitball a little bit here, James. There's a couple of things that I wanted to get off my chest before we start the, the recording, and that's that DH catcher and left field situation that we currently see. Now, I know Adam Engel is a couple of weeks away, which is going to be a huge lift, but until then... After Eloy's left pectoral uh, injury that he needs surgery on, four to five months, as opposed to five to six months, so a little bit better to hear. Still bad. The White Sox are in a situation now where Zach Collins, Yerman Mercedes, Yasmani Grandal, your three catchers, a plethora of designated hitting options. I'm just curious what your take is and the perception of the roster now as we're seeing Collins and Mercedes assuming they're going to get a shot here, as well as Andrew Vaughn potentially playing left field. Yeah, so I mean, in the immediate aftermath of this, like, you you know, you weren't on the show last week. Obviously, me and Dan talked about it a little bit, and it's crazy because, like, I think Eloy Jimenez was going to hit 40 homers this year, but he's still, like, I guess one of the guys, not that you could afford to lose, but one of the guys where it's like you could, you know, you could maybe live with it, I guess. Like, you know, if they lost one of their starting pitchers or Gizmani Grandal or Tim Anderson right now, I mean, it's, you know, it'd kind of almost be like a, a death blow because you just like don't really have anything else. I, I feel like the White Sox have enough to win games differently, right? So, you know, even if it is like you're going to use a lot of angle, I, I personally think they're going to play Vaughn and left like quite a bit, um, especially against righties because you could get Zach Collins, you know, his shot in there. Um, and then, you know, you can kind of just mix and match from there on out. And, you know, with the good bullpen, hopefully, you know, it's a lot of, Adam Engel and Billy Hamilton like playing outfield defense in the seventh, eighth, and ninth, and you're not really relinquishing leads. So, yeah, I mean, I think they're okay. It sucks because I want to watch Eloy Jimenez hit baseballs, but I think they're okay. And I think 
I think what they did with the roster, like you mentioned, is very interesting. I mean, they didn't do any anything with the service time uh, with Andrew Vaughn. He's on the team. They're not messing around in that regard. I mean, your mean Mercedes, you know, it's kind of like, you know, time to see it, right? Like he's on the 40-man roster, so he's getting a shot here um, over Jonathan Lucroy. And then my guy, Zach Collins, you know, seemingly is going to be the backup catcher. And, you know, he's he's made a lot of changes. I mean, if, you know, I've said this, like if if he can't make the team after this spring training, like don't ever come to me with spring training stats again because he's done pretty much everything um, he can do. So, you know, you, Jake Lamb is is a little bit different than I think we expected, but I think there might be some moving parts, like as we see like the first like six weeks of the season here. I don't think this roster – by any means is like set. I think it's going to be really fluid. And I, you know, I think they have enough to, you know, weather the storm here early. Yeah, I agree. I think this roster is going to change uh, dramatically as the season moves forward and, and not so much to the core, but I think the complementary pieces that we sort of just mentioned, and I'm looking forward to Zach Collins, James, because I think he's finally getting his opportunity. They are talking him up defensively. I think he's made improvements. The White Sox have been really pushing Zach Collins for consistent at-bats now. And I think that leads me to my next question is, how exactly do you feel about the way maybe Tony LaRusso will mix and match catcher DH left field, first base? I know we know Jose Bray is the mainstay first baseman, but I think with this injury to Eloy, there's room for opportunity for Tony LaRusso to really take advantage of the depth on this White Sox roster across the 26 man. So who do you think is going to benefit most? And you can even include the value of having uh, the alternate site available for the White Sox to kind of dip into the taxi squad whenever necessary. You know, I think we kind of said it. I think Zach Collins is still going to benefit the most just because, you know, he's on the roster. I think a lot of people, myself included, assumed like, I mean, Eloy's in left. If you're going to have Vaughn on the team, he's going to DH all the time. And then I thought Lucroy was going to be the backup catcher. And Zach Collins is just going to kind of be floating around with his 120 big league plate appearances that he's had. So I, I think he's the big winner. I think, you know, he should play most of the time against righties, in my opinion. Now, it sounds like, you know, Tony kind of hinted today, you know, or yesterday after this is posted, but you know, in his media availability that they might start Leury and left against the right-hander. Um, and maybe that's just, you know, because they, they trust him more. But I do think against righties, you're going to see a lot of Andrew Vaughn in left field and and Collins finding his way into the lineup, either at catcher or DH, you know, with Grandall. So just to get the other left-handed bat in the lineup, I think it, I think it's Zach Collins that benefits the most for sure. Last one, and we'll get into Chris Tannehill and Herb Lawrence here shortly. Andrew Vaughn in left field. Initial reactions, let's keep it short. How do you feel about it? I'm actually okay after seeing him. I think I kind of forgot that he had pitched. You know, I think everything we heard and we talked about how, like, he's first base only, right? I think the biggest concern for me with Eloy was, like, not killing himself or killing someone else. Um, And I just don't think Andrew Vaughn's going to do that. I kind of think, like, you know... It's, it's a longer form debate that you and I have had, but like, you know, he can, I think he can play the grounders and catch the stuff hit at him and take anything to his right and anything to his left, like Louis Roberts going to take. And I'm fairly confident that he won't be great, but I don't think he will be hurt. And that's probably the most important thing here this year. Yeah. I'm with you. I think Aloy is just incapable of doing the bare minimum because he just wants to be a better outfielder, you know, and it's hard for him the sense of awareness you got to have it and I think Andrew Vaughn is a a little bit higher in that level of awareness in terms of where he's at in the field understanding what his limitations are and you know he's got a 
a fine resource to his left uh, once he's standing out there in left field. So, yeah, that's really good stuff. Really looking forward to this conversation as well with Chris Tannehill and Herb Lawrence. So without further ado, let's introduce the Lockdown White Sox podcast host, Chris Tannehill and Herb Lawrence. We are pleased to welcome Chris Tannehill and Herb Lawrence, the Lockdown Sox podcast. Guys, I'm so excited to talk. White Sox baseball finally, legitimately, opening day around the corner. This year, I feel like the juices are back flowing. I know not all of us can make opening day this time around, but man, just to foresee a 162-game season on the horizon really gets us excited. And there's nobody better to preview the 2021 White Sox than Chris Tannehill and Herb Lawrence. Guys, so happy to have you on the podcast. Really excited to dive into a lot of the hot topics going into this season. First, let's begin with Tony LaRusa. This is where I want to start the conversation because this is such an X factor that I think was made a big deal when it was going down. And I'm curious your take now that we've had an opportunity to to see that, you know, the way that he works, the roster, how he's been uh, speaking in, in press conferences and whatnot across spring training and what to expect across a 162 season. If maybe your mind changed a little bit or how your evaluation of Tony LaRusso as the White Sox manager is going to be. So let's start with Chris Tannehill. Well, you know, I, I, I was very famous in, in talking about Tony and Herb and I. We spent a lot of time talking about Tony after the initial hiring, as we all did. You know, it was, it was a move that shocked all of us. I think we thought this managerial search would go on for a, a good portion of the offseason. And then, of course, they, they throw the curveball at us. And I said at the time that, you know, the way I feel about the move is ask me, about the move when they break camp, when, when they're ready to go to Anaheim. And today's the day they're, they're, they're breaking camp and the roster is set. And I don't mind the move for Tony as a manager. Like, I think that this roster is built to win. And then, of course, the DUI thing happens and the story comes out and we sour on the move a little bit. And, you know, over time, like, you know, more details about that will be revealed, I'm sure. And it's going to be something that will never go away. But, you know, we've, we've moved beyond that now, now that spring had started and, you look at the roster and you see how he interacts and how he prepares and what guys are saying. And obviously the first thing everyone wanted to bring about was oh, the, the dynamic between Tony and Tim Anderson. How is that going to play? And it was a bit of a, of a rocky start at first because we were all kind of waiting immediately for TA's immediate reaction to Tony. And it, it came a little bit later than we wanted to. But slowly, you know, things got revealed. And then once they got to camp, there was like no problems. And you know, I don't like to judge managers by how they appear in a, in a Zoom call because anyone in a Zoom call kind of looks like it's a hostage situation type of deal, especially when you have someone like Tony out there who's very deliberate, you know, not an energetic speaker. But from what I've seen, his interaction with the players, like I think it, it's gone extremely well and it's about as well as you could hope it to, to go as a White Sox fan. And it, to the point where like now I think maybe that they could have a tactical advantage because all of a sudden the one of the strengths of this White Sox team is going to be their pitching staff, mainly their bullpen, and who better to, to manage this bullpen than Tony La Russa. So I don't envision him being an issue in the clubhouse. I, I said also in the past that he knows a good clubhouse when he sees it, and he knows how easy it can be to mess up great clubhouse chemistry, and chemistry often takes years to build. We saw it through the rebuild, like, you know, your, your leaders begin to reveal themselves and, you know, the, you, you, you get the jack wagons out of the clubhouse and finally you have a good group of guys and a manager comes in and he realizes that within the first couple of days of being there. So Tony knows that. And now I don't, I don't think as, as Sox fans, we have anything to worry about with Tony LaRusso being the manager in 2021. It's going to be interesting actually to see how he deploys a lot of these weapons in the bullpen. And 
and he knew the roster very well early on. So that impressed me a lot, you know, throwing around a name like Jimmy Lambert, which I know we talked about. But, yeah, I think the Tony thing has gone really well so far, and I'm looking forward to see how it plays out in the season. Myself, I was initially mad about the Tony LaRusso thing just because they usurped the power of Rick Hahn. It was finally going to be his turn to pick his guy, get a guy in there that he handpicked. And I didn't like the Jerry Reinsdorf overreach there. But And, of course, the DUI that Tony subsequently had and didn't tell anybody except for Jerry. But... I'm a managers don't matter that much in wins and losses guys. So I knew even then that at the end of the day, it'll be fine. The talent on the field will prevail. And so, yeah, what Tanny said is right. He said the good things. He knows the people, the clubhouse is the thing that I was worried about. Guys are raving about him. The positivity coming out of that clubhouse is palpable and it's good to see. So Maybe it was a good hire by Jerry, but I don't like how it came down. Like the the process of it was bad. The results might be good. Yeah, you know, Herb, I'm I'm right with you. I mean, I've always kind of thought managers were overrated. And with this one, look, like I made the jokes like everybody else did because the whole thing was ridiculous. And my issue with it is like, you know, Han having his power usurped, like you said. I kind of like changed a lot though after I saw the coaching staff that was put together. I'm wondering you guys thoughts on that. I mean, obviously, you know, it's, it's tough to really know, but when you read the stuff about, you know, they go outside for a bench coach, they go outside kind of for a pitching coach. Like, you know, finally, I thought that was like a step in the right direction. And then it's kind of been a boring camp. Like it's just like a boring old dude managing the team, which is, which is good. And I think it's something that a lot of people didn't really expect. Yeah. Very un-White Sox like to hire a guy that's not their guy. Um, Miguel Cairo, as the bench coach, uh, getting Ethan Katz uh, as a as the pitching coach to revamp a uh, guy that they had for 30 years in the system, 20 years as a White Sox uh, pitching coach, Don Cooper jettisoned. Get out of here immediately. And now you see some of the fruits of the labor, like Ethan Katz. I mean, Dylan Cease was speaking today pretty much praising exactly what Ethan Katz has done with him in the offseason. We've all heard what Lucas Giolito and his dad, Rick, have said about Ethan Katz. It's a huge, good get. I, I was mad initially about the whole Tigers thing because they got our manager that we're supposed to get in A.J. Hinch and the Fetter guy from Michigan as the pitching coach. But I couldn't be happier now that Ethan Katz is working with these guys. He seems like he's getting the most out of people who didn't reach their potential as yet. So Dylan Ceases looked really good in spring training. And I know it's just spring, but I feel that he has done something with him. He's got his mindset right. He's got his body right. His mechanics are a little bit better. Uh, sometimes it, it's all it takes is somebody with some different eyes, somebody with something new. And Ethan Katz has something new and probably embraces the new um, analytics that are out there. I'm not saying that Don didn't, but I, you can hear his disdain when he was talking about rep Soto and stuff like that. So um, it's really unsocks like to hire old guy or guys not inside the clubhouse or not inside the White Sox uh, family. But it's a good thing. I like that they're uh, allowing that to happen. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, these guys are, are, are teachers first and foremost. And when you saw the White Sox tweet that video of Ethan Katz talking to Dylan Cease and you, you just saw it as a guy who's a very clear communicator, uh, encouraging communicator. He tells you exactly what, what he expects out of you. And, you know, he, Dylan Cease is finally in a spot now where it looks like he'll be able to follow through 
on those plans. But when you have Tony La Russa as your manager, you know, a Hall of Famer baseball person, you're going to have other guys around the league who are going to want to join that that coaching staff. And all of a sudden it becomes an attractive destination. Like I remember talking to former big leaguer Cody Decker about Jerry Naren when he came over. You know, he coached, he was on the coaching staff at Team Israel, I believe. And I asked Cody, he said, what, what about Jerry Naren uh, are we going to like here? And he told me that he was a guy that you respect immediately. You know, your clubhouse is great just for having him in it. And now all of a sudden, the, the White Sox, one of their biggest, I guess, you know, question marks going into the offseason and through the spring was that backup catcher spot. And we wanted to see Zach Collins take that next step and, and get better with his defensive mechanics and hopefully be a guy that you can you can depend on. So now you have, you know, Jerry Naren coming in and working with, with Zach Collins and Yermin Mercedes both end up making the team, by the way. So now you have this coaching staff, which is a good mix of younger guys, older guys, experienced guys around baseball. And it's just it's a really good group. And they were able still to retain some of the guys that we've come to, to know and love. Like, hey, I got Frank Manichino. Hey, hey, how you doing? You know, guys like that. And Joe McEwing. You have a lot of great baseball minds who understand White Sox culture, but also have been around the game for a while, mixed in with these new guys who know what winning is like outside of the organization. So I think as far as the coaching staff goes, I think it's it's about as good of a group as you can ask for. And I think with you know pitching becoming such a uh, the, the way they look at things is, is so modern and so analytics based and you know it's important to have a younger guy in that role or at least someone who knows how to communicate that more effectively i think that's going to pay you know dividends for the white Sox, especially you see the springs that dylan cease and carlos ronan have had so you know you, you have to like those moves and like herb said especially starting with ethan katz like it's a really good group of coaches they have now yeah i think that's really well said and it really kind of puts a cap on broader point of this you know Tony La Russa is the man at the helm but the complimentary pieces among that coaching staff and even across the organization I think you're seeing the White Sox as a whole take steps forward and you mentioned a couple of names there Yermin Mercedes Zach Collins and specifically that catcher's spot we'll get into the roster here because opening day is upon us and it's it's a beautiful thing it was really interesting to see the decision by the White Sox to move on from Jonathan Lucroy and decide to keep Yermin Mercedes and following the Aloy Jimenez injury. We're seeing an Andrew Vaughn come into the mix a little bit more so than maybe we had anticipated, you know, considering that at first expected him to be designated hitter. They maybe wanted to ease him into the game a little bit, but man, it seems like he is going to be a part of it. So here's an interesting uh, topic that we can dive into is that 40 man roster spots and how the White Sox value them because of, well, the subsequent moves, if they did have to include Jonathan Lucroy, there may be a couple of names that would have to, you know, get DFA'd or flat out released on top of the Jake Lamb signing. So I thought that was very fascinating. And I'm also curious on how you would evaluate Yerma Mercedes, Zach Collins and their roles uh, into the White Sox here in 2021. I'm a big fan of Yermi Mercedes. I've been one since I've seen him get acquired by the White Sox. Look at his minor league numbers. It looks like the guy hits Wherever he goes, he understands the art of hitting and he gets the bat to the ball. Um, I was very disappointed that he didn't get more role last year with the only one appearance, I think, in uh, Kansas City or Minnesota. And then he struck out and it was over for him. But I think he will do very well for this staff. I don't suspect him being the main backup catcher. Um, I think when days where Yaz needs a, a blow, Hopefully, they're looking more at Zach Collins as the future, a guy they drafted, I think, 10th overall to be the catcher behind Yasmani Grandal. But 
with those two guys, I was very surprised like you, Mike, that they chose those two guys over a guy that they talked up big time, Jonathan Lucroy. And they talked up the coach that was with him in Milwaukee, Jerry Naren, that, oh, man, it's going to unlock him. And he had a pretty decent spring offensively. I don't know how he was uh, receiving as a, a catcher, but there was raves there. The first co- game he caught with Lucas Giolito, he said he had a nice rapport with him. And same thing with Lance Lynn. But I was uh, shocked that they went with the guys. And Rick Hahn said pretty much at beginning of the spring training, he predicted that one or two of these young guys would beat out Lucroy for the backup catcher job. And I was very surprised that, you know, why would you bring him in? if you thought that these guys were ready to go, um, it's a pleasant surprise because for myself before the season, I was like, there's no place for Zach Collins on this team at all. They should find some team like the pirates or some team that's giving him 150 games of catching 140 games of catching and just do his thing because Yaz is here for what, three more years, but it's good to see that left center field stroke looking good. He's receiving the ball a little bit better. You guys are, you know, future Sox, so you guys know exactly what he's done down in the minor leagues, so you have more knowledge about that than I would, but it's good that the guy has persevered through some tough times. Yeah, and as far as, you know, the the, the move, it shocked me as well, the move to to not bring Lucroy with the team, and maybe that's just a professional courtesy. Like, okay, you proved you're healthy. You had a, a solid spring for us. We're going to put in a good word for you, and there's going to be a team that's going to need a catcher at some point you would think you know someone who knows how to handle a pitching staff so I think you know in that sense I think Jonathan Lucro is probably grateful that he got the opportunity because he'll, he'll work again so but but it surprised me because like Herb said like we thought for sure Lucroy was brought in to be the stabilizing veteran catcher who knows how to frame and can be the you know the James McCann replacement so to speak so we, it would have been so easy for Tony La Russa to go with a guy that he knew back from his days uh, in the NL Central, and, and just be, you know, stick with that guy. And he, instead, he went the other way, not only going with, with Zach Collins, but also Yermin Mercedes, too. I think it's it's an exciting move because it's not a move that that we would expect the White Sox to make, so that in itself uh, feels exciting. But, you know, one of the things that I, that I look at, look at with, with Zach Collins is he needs at-bats. And my thing that's always most concerning when you talk about these young guys, you can basically – talk about Collins and your mean in the same vein where it's like, I just hope they have enough at bats to stay sharp because I think we all know the high upside that both of them have. And I think Zach Collins profiles really nicely in this lineup. If he just try, you know, stays himself and keeps that steady plate approach and not, you know, afraid to take a walk every once in a while, because he knows that there's going to be guys behind him that can drive him in. So I, I hope he doesn't try to get too much out of himself. And so far he's, had a perfect mix of the patience and power that we saw when they drafted him out of Miami. And then the Yermin thing, this could be one of those seasons where you, you catch lightning in a bottle with a kid like this because there's not a big MLB track record for him. He comes up there and he's just trying to rake every single time. I just I hope that there's not too many redundancies with this team when you talk about Vaughn and Collins and Yermin. I remember we saw Yermin briefly out in left field early in the spring. You know, I, I I don't know if we saw too much of it after that. I wonder how much of that is going to be in play this year. But, you, you know, I think it was encouraging to see that Tony La Russa sees a kid like Yermin and is like, you know what, this bat plays, I don't care, I need him on my team. So I, I think that in itself is fun. And I don't know how this is going to shake out at season's end. Uh, there's going to be a lot of a lot of mixing and matching in lineups till they find their groove and 
keeping guys fresh is going to be a challenge, no doubt. Uh, but it's exciting to see. All right, James, we need to take a quick timeout because there's a special offer exclusively from Manscaped.com. They support Future Sox just like we support us, ourselves, trying to make Future Sox podcast the best it can be. Manscaped.com, Future 20 at checkout for all the products. James, I know you have something from Manscaped that you want to share with our listeners. What's your favorite product available on Manscaped.com? Yeah, so the best thing that I've used from Manscaped.com, the Lawnmower 3.0, it's an exceptional electric trimmer that you don't have to plug in. It is very convenient and safe. It has wireless capabilities with a charger, and it's part of the performance package that you can get off of Manscaped.com. I want to reiterate the fact that the performance package, what a value. Go to Manscaped.com, check it out. Also, use Future 20 at checkout. May I also suggest the Weed Whacker, the nose hair trimmer, now only $29.99 if you also subscribe to the peak hygiene plan if you don't want to do that that's totally fine 39.99 for the weed whacker look it up revolutionary electric ear and nose hair trimmer and it's also waterproof and if you stink below the belt you have some toners as well as deodorant that you can choose from as well as foot duster that's a foot deodorant say goodbye to stinky foot funk with the foot duster deodorant spray this essential hygiene solution features cooling tea tree oil for a pleasant experience on your feet. Go to manscaped.com, type in future 20 at checkout to get 20% off your purchase and free shipping. That's manscaped.com, type in future 20 at checkout for 20% off your purchase. Yeah, so like you guys, I was very surprised about, like I thought Jonathan Lucroy was a lock. Now I, you know, admittedly I haven't paid attention to spring training stats a ton and apparently he hasn't played much. I don't know if you guys covered that at all but like in the last 10 days like Lucroy hasn't really played at all and people kind of said that to me and I just I just assumed that he'd be on the team regardless so I was surprised when they when they brought Yermin in as well what did you uh obviously Eloy's hurt and Angle will not be on the team to start what do you guys think about the other moves the you know the Jake Lamb one's a little bit strange but if that's like a Danny Mendick replacement I think it's fine and then they're you know going to carry Billy Hamilton you know, for certain reasons, I just, I don't, I don't really think Billy Hamilton should start ever. And I hope that doesn't really happen like under Tony here initially. Unfortunately, I think that's exactly what's going to happen way too much. I don't know if Tony's like team speed and thinking, Oh man, this guy can steal his couple bases and play some left field when Lurie's out or there's no um, uh, Zach in left or Vaughn is DHing. Let's get uh, Billy Hamilton out there. I hope, we use him ex- exclusively like they use Jared Dyson. Late inning, steal us a base, run a, uh, take a pinch run from either Yasmani Grandal or somebody who's slow, and that's all you're there for. I was very shocked by the Jake Lamb move because I look at the stats, and I know he had a, a slight resurgence at the end of last year, but total, it was a bad year. And he was batting third in the game three, I think that was was not, you know, overly uh, worried about the White Sox pitching to Jake Lamb. And the fact that he got cut in late spring tells me that he's not a player that it needs to be reckoned with. If he needed something, I would have went with Josh Reddick, and he could have started for you if you need a left-handed bat, a veteran like that. And so Rick is talking about we're going to be operating as if Aloy is not going to come back for the season. We got We have to plan like that. I don't know why you don't get a, a actual guy who can start left field or right field for you. Josh Reddick would have been a great guy you signed for a minor league contract. If he doesn't work out, he doesn't work out and you cut him. But to sign Jake Lamb to a major league deal to 
what? Like, Yoan Mankata's going to play all the games at third. Nick Madrick's going to play all the games at second. Tim's going to play all at short. Where's he going to play? Where's he going to find these at bat? So a little puzzling. I don't know why we're clamoring and why we're going out to get Jake Lamb. If they would have went to get Yomer, that would at least made more sense to me. I wouldn't have liked it, but I, I was like, okay, that's familiarity. The guy has versatility. They like Yomer. Fans love him. Whatever. But the Jake Lamb signing, it's it's not going to hurt them, but it just it's a question mark. It's like, why? Yeah, I, I agree, Herb. Like, I, I also listened to Rick Hahn today when he was speaking about Jake Lamb, and he, he was quick to say this is mostly infield. You know, occasionally maybe he'll be in the outfield, but they got him primarily to back up third base and first base, and it's just it's kind of puzzling. And, and I think Tony's earned the benefit of the doubt at this point after all the things we just mentioned, but you have to go back to Tony's time in Arizona to think maybe this has something to do with it like that he really liked him from the beginning and, you know, he thinks he's healthy. It, is, it doesn't make a lot of sense, and it's still kind of complicated when you look at it because Rakan also mentioned how, you know, you're still trying to manage a roster amidst the pandemic, so you have to have certain precautions in place. And I look at a guy like Danny Mendick. Like, he didn't show you enough last year where he, you know, you don't think he can belong on this team and, and fill that exact same role. To, to your backup middle infielder, first base, sure. But where are we if all of a sudden you need someone to play first base if you can't, you know, lean on your mean or Zach Collins or, you know, Yasmani? You know what I mean? Like, where are we at if you need a backup? Or Andrew Vaughn? Like, where where are we really if you need someone to back up first base? I, I don't really understand the move. You know, it's, it's, it's not a guy like, again, this goes back to, you know, we've talked about it with James Fox a lot. The, the drafting and developing and, and the pipeline and the Dominican and Venezuela, and all of a sudden you need a, a guy like this who's, you know, 30 to to make a contribution. And who knows, maybe he'll, he'll just be around and they got him for the, the left-handed bat late in the game, and that'll be the only reason you ever see him. But to me, like, uh, if you just needed someone to back up the infielders, I don't know why Danny Mendick didn't, didn't get another shot here. It's, it's kind of puzzling. You know, I think that's exactly what it is. I think it's just Tony liked him from Arizona – um, he obviously has not been that player. I think it's just a swap of him for Mendick. I think Mendick was going to make the team because of the injuries that they have, and they just decided that um, they'll just go with Jake Lamb instead because it's a left-handed bat, hopefully off the bench and not starting barely ever. Because, I mean, even like Danny Mendick, I feel like isn't third base is the only place where he's like the actual backup. Because even like Leary can get you out of a game, right, at second and at short, and then Danny Mendick's a phone call away anyway. So I kind of feel like that's the reason. Now it might it might be a stupid reason, but that I think that's the reason. I think he just he got cut loose and for whatever reason Tony wanted him. They didn't want to bring Mendick onto the team. They'd rather have the left-handed bat. I just I think that's all it is at this point. Yeah, guys, this is a it's an interesting topic because of the way that the things kind of had transpired. Like this happened a week prior to opening day and it you know followed the Alloy injury and that's this leads me to my next question, because you had 35, 40 home runs over 100 RBI slotted in the middle of your lineup, and then suddenly that's taken away from you. And in the offseason, they didn't really make outfield a priority. Or, you know, outside of Adam Eaton, they didn't want to go any further in adding any types of bats. I'm just curious your perception of the way the White Sox went about their business this offseason, what it says about their confidence in the system, terms of the depth that they have and how they value their 40-man roster spot because obviously hindsight wins but still you know maybe there was room to attack if you had an opportunity to to pounce on an available bat 
to avoid a situation where you're putting Andrew Vaughn out in left field or you're scrambling for a Blake Rutherford if necessary. I was thinking that in the offseason, the perfect signing would have been Michael Brantley, a guy that could have played right field for you. And if necessary, left field and when Eloy got hurt, because that's more of his uh, speed, um, didn't cost that much for Houston to re-sign him. So I was very disappointed that Jock Peterson, the Jock Peterson report coming out, the White Sox tried to get him $10 million, and he overplayed his hand and finally settled on $7 million to play for the Cubs. That also would have been a great move for them. At least they tried to get him out there in left field or in right field if uh, Eloy wanted to stay out in left. So to to downshift to Adam Eaton when they did was very disappointing. I think it was in the middle of December. They could have waited. No one's looking for or checking for Adam Eaton at that time. You could have waited until January and see if his market would have, would have formed and see if that's the guy you need. If you need the, a right fielder, that's like a last-minute thing. Maybe January, February is like, okay, let's bring in Adam Eaton. But they rushed to get him and give him money. So I was disappointed in their offseason and as a whole, especially not getting a right fielder that I liked or a designated hitter that I thought was good enough to play every day for, uh, what, 150 games and maybe a little bit more. But what can you do? I feel that um, the team is fine but they could have been better. They, and I think they rested on the laurels of, uh, of the team being uh, a contender. And like, we have good players and we have a, a glut of off outfielders. If need be the Mike Dolphos, the Blake Rutherford's, like you said, Luis uh, Gonzalez, those type of guys, but we all know they're not ready now. So it was very disappointing to see them not chase this championship. Like they need to chase it especially with bats in the outfield and designated hitter. Yeah, hindsight's always going to be twenty twenty on this one, and the Adam Eaton move is a move that we thought was curious at the time. Of course, now we know that there, there was more to that, and they wanted Jock Peterson, and Jock Peterson decided to bet on himself. And, you know, it, it, you know, in terms of financially, it appears that he lost. He got less money from the Cubs, but I think he'll still have a really good season on the north side, and it just you know, didn't work out for the White Sox. Maybe they should have waited a little bit because they are – one of the more attractive destinations. Maybe they just should have waited it out, but instead they, they had to have Adam Eaton. And again, Adam Eaton is a guy that could very well work for the White Sox. You know, I, I'm a believer in lineup balance and just, you know, having a certain mindset. And I think Adam Eaton does provide that. You know, I'm not the biggest Eaton fan in the world, but I think just the dynamic that he places inside the lineup, I think I think is good for the White Sox. And there's no way we would have been able to predict what happened to Eloy, except for the the track record of it happening time and time again. But I don't think any of us expected it to happen uh, at this magnitude. But I remember, uh, Foxy, you pointed out many times that Michael Brantley is not a suitable right fielder. So uh, there, there would have been no spot for him to play with Eloy out in left field before the Eloy injury. I think there are some other moves that were left, you know, that would have served the White Sox well. You look at a guy like Robbie Grossman who goes to the Tigers, you know, that would have been a guy that would have, you know, served that spot nicely. But, yeah, I think ultimately this is just a, a, an issue with the White Sox organization and not building real depth. Like, you know, they, they finally have a, a solid roster and the 40-man, but beyond that, like, they're not in a position where they're going to be 
you know, just switching out players. They're not at a Tampa Bay Rays level yet where this next man up mentality, they are, they're far away from that. So maybe this will teach them some lessons for future off seasons and organizational philosophy. Probably not. Uh, but yeah, you know, there, there were certain moves out there that they could have, should have made, but you know, it's hard to look back at those now after, you know, you take away 30 plus home runs out of your lineup and say, Oh, they should have done this move because Michael Brantley would have been nice now for sure. But I think at the time it would have been a move that maybe would not have made a, as much sense on paper. And I think you just have to weather the storm here for two weeks until Adam Engel comes back. You know, I, I think Adam Engel would have earned an opportunity to start in most other cities if you were on any other team, you know, but gets injured. And, you know, we saw him last year, like, finish strong. He was a solid defensive presence for the White Sox and even contributing, you know, uh, offensively in the postseason that, you know, Adam Engel is on a pretty nice trajectory here, and I don't mind seeing him out there every day and left with Engel and with Eaton and right. And I think all of a sudden now you have elite outfield defense, and that's something we haven't seen in a while. And I think maybe the overall positive of having elite defense out there in the outfield when you take a look at guys like Keuchel, who could be looking at a, a minor regression here because who could keep up with that pace of what he was at when he was at a twenty twenty. And you have guys like Lance Lynn. Maybe he, he falls off a little bit and could rely a little bit more on his outfield defense than than years prior. So I'm actually like I'm not happy Eloy's hurt by any means, and it's a, it's a total bummer, and it makes you reevaluate the the way you feel about their standing in the division, and are they really better than the Twins now? I'm not so sure, but it is an interesting idea to think about the all world defense they're going to be able to roll out there in the outfield. Like I think that's a better way to look at it now. You you just have to weather that storm. Uh, of the first two weeks until Engel comes back. And, and I think I really like what Adam Engel brings to the lineup, both offensively and defensively at this point in his career. Yeah. So, you know, before Mike gets into the pitching staff here quickly, you know, something you mentioned was the depth and it's obviously been, you know, one of the main topics and a huge topic on uh white Sox Twitter with, with the depth arguments. And I think, you know, I think the biggest problem is something you mentioned. It's that, minor league players are not ready for whatever reason, you know, whether those guys are never going to be ready or whether, you know, no minor league season last year really hurt them. I think teams that have more depth for the White Sox, like if you go look at the Dodgers and these other powerhouse teams, you know, it's, it's internal depth. Like they brought like guy teams are not going out and signing utility players for millions of dollars and like loading up and having all this depth. And I kind of feel like that's what a lot of people wanted the White Sox to do. They, they have to, you know, develop it from within. And I think for whatever reason, they just like haven't done it enough. And it's something that they're going to have to do going forward. So they don't have to spend money on guys, you know, right before the season starts all the time. Well, James, that's a good point because you look at it and Chris too, when you talked about on paper, if you go out and sign when Eloy was healthy, another bat anywhere and it says, well, where is he going to fit? You know, there's, there's just a bunch of players doing relatively the same things, playing the same positions. Where are these at-bats going to go? And, of course, then the 40-man, 26-man roster issues come into play. So, again, like you said, hindsight is is twenty twenty in this case. And I think, James, what you're talking about in terms of depth, it's also true because where does this development come from and who are we seriously looking at as pieces that are going to come up and contribute? And I think that also plays into the idea the White Sox organization do not want to commit dollars and multiple years to free agents. So they're allowed flexibility across the season and into further off seasons. You know, they want to be able to make moves at the deadline and then have enough financial flexibility in the off season to do what they feel like they need to do. So I think all of that comes into play. Uh, and it, you know, obviously it makes sense why they didn't want to attack and commit dollars to a George Springer when there was already 
the, the confidence in Adam Engel as your fourth outfielder uh, at this point. All right, moving on, like James mentioned, the starting pitching staff. A couple more for you guys. We'll let you go. Also want to help you promote the uh, Locked On Sox. What is, it's like a crossover you guys are doing. You guys are highlighting uh, the AL Central teams previewing here across opening day, so I encourage the listeners to go to Locked On Sox and check those episodes out as well. Get yourself caught up on the AL Central division. So let's let's get into this pitching staff, specifically the bottom two now. It looks like Carlos Rodon, Dylan Cease, man. This is, this is exciting stuff, I think, at least from the outside looking in. The, the Ethan Katz conversations that, that Tanny brought up, posted on social media, get you an inside look of how Katz tries to get inside the mind and the mental approach. You know, there's slight mechanical tweaks that Dylan Cease is trying to get down, and it looks like he's he's in the right spot. And then moving on to Carlos Rodon as well. He's got his velocity back, and it, and it looked like he got a, a jolt in the rear end a little bit, realizing that, hey, man, I need to figure this out because nobody's paying me. I got a low ball deal from a team that I just got cut from, uh, and, and it looks like he's good. Mid-90s fastball is back, and he's your fifth starter, and you have the depth in the bullpen with Kopech, Crochet, and, and the rest. You know, you're keeping an eye on Kopech specifically. You don't know how his trajectory is going to be across this season. So curious to get your takes. Tanny, let's start with you. Yeah, I, I really like it right now. Like I, Dylan Cease was a guy that I, I've always liked, and I, I love the makeup. I love the stuff, and we all know that it, it takes pitchers, you know, different times to to develop and and come into their own. Like you know, you think about what Lucas Giolito was just a few years ago, and I know he's an, an all world elite talent, former number one pick and all, but like certain guys, just it takes longer for the light to go on, and it's not because the lights, you know, they don't want the light to go on. It's just because you know, for whatever reason, be it coaching. Uh, be it you just need the repetition, this comfortability factor, like, you know, com- recovering from from surgeries, whatever it is. Like, sometimes it just it takes guys a little bit longer. And with Dylan Cease, like, I don't think any of us ever looked at him and said, I don't ever see what they saw in this guy. No, we all saw it. And we all knew it just with a few tweaks here and there and the right coaching, he could easily take that next step. And it, it certainly appears like he finished off his uh, final spring outing today was good. Once again, it just it's so encouraging to see that. And I think that's one of the ways the White Sox can sort of uh, negate the loss of, of Eloy is if guys like that take that next step and and become uh, bona fide starting pitchers in a rotation. And then the Rodon thing, like it, it's, I'm not as quite as excited about watching him every five days that I am as with Dylan Cease because we've all seen the the Carlos Rodon movie play out. But but as a baseball fan who is always looking for a narrative and looking for guys to root for and looking for storylines because so much of this game is mental like I'm rooting so hard for Carlos Rodon to work out because as you mentioned Mike you know him being humbled a little bit but then also realizing like the he has an opportunity to to make things right and compete and contribute to a, a potential World Series winning team here so he realizes the opportunity that's at hand and again Right coaching comes in, right time, and you know if, if I was Carlos Rodon, maybe I would have realized that earlier. But again, this is pitching at the big league level is not something that's easy to do. So some guys find it at different times in their career. Maybe the White Sox got lucky this time, and he figures it out in his final year here, or rather than finding you know figuring it out somewhere else, you know under lower stakes like with the Indians or something like that. So I you know I am encouraged to see him out there, and I, and I really hope it works out. And that's one of the things that it's going to be a huge key to this team this year and how far they go. Because if all of a sudden Carlos Rodon is a very solid, dependable 
fifth starter and with stuff like that, you, you know, how are you not excited about that? I think the one thing though, is we're always just cautiously optimistic when talking about Rodon, but I certainly hope it works out for him because after seeing all the ups and downs through the career here, like you, you want it to work out somewhere and you just hope it's here now for the White Sox in 2021. Yeah. If Carlos Rodon is the guy that pitches when he does take the mound, like the fifth starter there is solid because I have no problem when he does actually pitch the problem with him. And you guys know this injuries, injuries throughout his career have derailed Carlos Rodon. But if he's throwing the mid nineties, high nineties fastball again, and that slider still hitting the back foot of right-handers and going away from left-handers filthy. And I'll take that. But if he pitches to what he has been as a major league pitcher, we're cooking with gas. And if Dylan Cease has found something, and his delivery and in and his uh because we all know he has the stuff and is with this confidence. I think the most thing the problem I have mostly with uh, Dylan Cease is he has those innings where he just can't get out of his own way. He's dealing and then like a fourth inning comes by and he's gives up a walk and then he gives up a single and then he walks somebody else and then he just you know spirals out of control. I think he needs to get out of his own head to understand that he has premium stuff. 98-mile-per-hour fastball sometimes can hit the triple digits. The guy knows how to, you know, has the stuff. Now he just needs to know how to pitch. And hopefully Ethan Katz has unlocked something in him. And if we have a fourth and fifth starter that they believe that they have because they didn't go out and get anybody else, they're like, these guys are going to be good enough for us competing this, in this division. Then we're cooking with real gas because the, our top three – I'm solid. I'm real solid on. Um, little worried about Dallas Keuchel, you know, injuries and stuff. But if he pitches like he pitched last year or the years uh, that he was a Cy Young guy, we're going to be fine. And Lance Lynn's looking for a nice contract to end his career, like one l- little uh, shot at a nice little payday. So this is his walk year. He's going to have to perform. And then, of course, Lucas Giolito is a stud. He's a ace in this game, and he might be winning – the AL Cy Young with the mentality he brings to the table. So if the White Sox do uh, have back of the baseball card performances from four and five, watch out. They're going to kill the Twins. They're going to kill the Indians, and they're going to walk in the uh, AL Central. Yeah, Herb, I'm with you there. I, I think, you know, as devastating and as the Eloy thing is and as much as it sucks, I think the White Sox pitching is being undersold, like, as a whole. I You know, you see a lot about the Yankees and some of these other teams. Like, their pitching staff's really good, and that's even with, you know, the four and the five like you just talked about. I mean, this is – I think it's the best bullpen in baseball. I mean, it's definitely, I think, the best in the American League. Are you guys as high on this bullpen as, as I am? And what did you think about – them starting Kopech and Crochet in the majors right away and not even playing any games at all in a season where they're expected to win. Amazing. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think they have the best bullpen in the game. I know people talk about the Yankees, but no, it's the White Sox. There's not a weak spot in there. I mean, when you think about guys that, you know, Jimmy Cordero before he got hurt wasn't probably going to be a big factor in this bullpen, and he was pretty solid in 2019. That's how deep this bullpen is. Every single guy that's going to be pitching for the White Sox out of the bullpen is filthy. You're going to have a hard day when you got to have to face Lance Lynn for six. And then seven, eighth, and ninth is going to be Aaron Bummer, Evan Marshall, and then close it out with Liam Hendricks. I mean, come on now. 
And then, like you said, they got guys who are going to be starters, future future starters, and Michael Kopech, which I expected them to send down to the minors and give him a little bit more season. He hasn't pitched in two plus years, but then he's going to be he's going to be in the bullpen, just uses some weapon, um, just for these guys. Like, oh my God, we just uh, faced Dylan Cease and he was filthy today, and now I got to go against this guy. And then lefty's like, oh, Garrett Crochet, what the hell's going on? I can't get a hit, guys. Can we can we get a break here? That's I mean, it's a it's a luxury that I don't think the White Sox have ever had. Even the 2005 team, I didn't expect them to pitch as well as they did, but never was I was I like as excited as I am to get to the bullpen. We have what the Oakland A's had last year, but I think even better. Like five innings get to our bullpen game's over yeah i mean you, you'll be hard pressed to find a team with a bullpen that was more in flux than that 05 white Sox bullpen with the three different closers and relying on guys to to have career years but i don't think you're 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 relying on stuff like that this year i think they just show up and they're immediately the best bullpen in baseball like i know some uh, corners of white Sox twitter uh, today was like ugh Jose Ruiz you know what I mean like that's like the the the, the chain is only as strong as its weakest link and Jose Ruiz is going to be your up by a lot down by a lot guy and from what I saw from Ruiz it was wasn't a lot this year in spring but even he was was throwing high 90s with some good breaking stuff so like you know this is going to be a really good bullpen that would have been a spot that would have went to Cordero before the Tommy John situation but like this it, bullpen like just it's going to be low-key as fun as, as the offense was going to be to watch, just to see who's really having a, a day that day and to see whether or not Tony's going to have them deployed. Like, certain days, are these guys are scheduled to go today. Like, we're going to have this matchup, this righty-lefty thing going, and then tomorrow we're going to have the same kind of you know principles but with different personnel. And now you all of a sudden you have Aaron Evan Marshall, who was our guy last year. We were so concerned about after Bummer went down, and he went, goes on to have a great year. And they probably you know don't get in the playoffs last year with without Evan Marshall stepping up there early on in the season and and being a big time contributor. So if you're talking about Ruiz and Marshall as 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 your guys, your sort of last resort guys, you're in pretty good shape right there. And then you get to the guys that we know. Are, are filthy and, and bummer and crochet and it, it'll be interesting to see what Kopech brings to the table and you know their closer Hendricks like this is going to be really fun to not only just see them protect leads from a solid starting staff but just bury teams and we want to see if they're going to be able to, to maintain that you know they want to be what 90 and 0 or whatever they said it was after leading after the fifth inning like we're going to keep track of that I think on the Parkinson Spiegel show and see what their record will actually be but just to be this the hammer that comes down on teams and you know like once that starter comes out it's just such a deflating feeling you know what to see that bullpen out there and to see those arms coming at you high 90s with nasty stuff from odd angles from crochet and bummer like it's going to be really fun to watch and I think one of the you know, we, we talk about the bullpen a lot, but I, I think people don't even truly realize how much fun it's going to be seeing guy after guy come out, especially as the stadiums get full again, or at least close to, to full as they can be. And the, the energy that's going to be in, injected into the ballpark when, when a guy like Kopech comes in or Crochet comes in, like it's going to be a, a sight to see. And, and I just can't wait for it. That's Chris Tannehill. You heard Herb Lawrence as well. Awesome stuff, guys. Locked on White Sox. Go check them out. Yeah, that bullpen, I tell you what, it's it makes the starting rotation 
it takes so much pressure off, right? The guys, they don't have to go seven innings every start. And you can go five and a third and feel good about an outing because you, you have the backup. But, gentlemen, it's been great. We'll leave you with this. Do you have any predictions? Do you have a, a win-loss total? Do you have a World Series uh, claim that you're saying that they're winning it all this year? Anything? Mine is 90 and 72. It didn't switch much from before Eli, Eloy got hurt. So I think the White Sox are going to be, whew, even though all the stuff I just said, slightly <laughs> behind the Minnesota Twins, still make the playoffs. <laughs> and that's where they make their mark, though. I think they're going to go to the ALCS, eventually lose to the Yankees. I'm not, you know, I'm not 100% high on the White Sox this year, but, you know, there's a future. They have a lot of uh, meat on that bone. I predicted the White Sox to win the World Series before the Eloy injury, and, and I'm sticking to it uh, because I believe that a lot of the same concepts and, and premises that are going to lead them to the World Series are still largely intact. They have a very good starting rotation, the bullpen we just talked about. The offense is going to be dynamic enough and versatile enough where they're going to be able to score runs many different ways. And they, they don't necessarily – I'm not going to say they're not going to miss Eloy because Eloy could be the difference in, you know, winning a game convincingly and all of a sudden really having to grind out a victory. And all of a sudden you may be a little bit more tired come August because you're fighting day in and day out, scratching and clawing to, to score runs, which I think in the postseason will actually serve them really well. So I'm going to hold to that prediction that the White Sox are going to win the World Series. Maybe I'll go under 90 wins. Maybe I'll have them at like around 89 or something like that. But I think they're going to show up to play – against teams like Cleveland and Minnesota. And I think that's where the division's going to be won and where they're really going to hone their 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 experience in, in winning games against those teams. So I have them winning the, the division, eking it out. Eloy comes later on in the season and provides the jolt that they need to take them to the next level. Sort of like the, the Schwarber comps are just unreal, like how the situation has unfolded here. So I think it's going to provide that type of energy boost to a lineup that that's going to miss them, but not as much as people – may think because of the versatility here so yeah i have the white Sox winning the world series this year and you know what let's just say against the padres just to make it interesting. <laughs> to, to put all the suffering uh and, and tatis envy to rest here i'll have them beating the padres in the 2021 world series i like it i don't, I don't think the american league is actually that good so i i'm with you guys i think it you know it, it's tough to predict a world series just because you kind of got to get there and then you know, anything can happen. I'm, I'm firmly with Herb though. Like these April games, they gotta, they gotta start off and like get on a run. Cause you're, you're facing teams that you should beat early. And what is it, Herb? The ones in April count the same as the ones in September. So they, uh, they, uh, they, they gotta get off to a hot start here. Guys, this is fantastic. Follow Chris Tannehill at Chris Tannehill on Twitter, Ecknerwall 23. That's Herb Lawrence on Twitter, James Fox at James Fox 917. Check out Locked on Socks. On Twitter at Locked On Socks. For Christina Hill and her employers, guys, thanks so much for jumping on the Future Socks podcast. Thank thanks you. for having us, guys. Happy opening day, White Sox fans. 2021 looking promising. Can't wait to enjoy it with all of you. My name's Mike Rankin for James Fox. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Future Socks podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Future Socks. Also, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, specifically on Anchor. Go to anchor.fm forward slash Future Socks. Check out our entire library. I'm at Rankin906 on Twitter if you'd like to give me a follow. Thanks so much again. One last time for listening. Let's go, White Socks.